Yes, well, right before we get to the message, I just want to uh, invite uh, our special guest who will be delivering today's message for us. Uh, today we have with us this very special guest. We have Greg Musselman, if you'd like to come join me. Many of you will know Greg. He is a friend of West Meadows, and he'll share a bit of that story with us, I'm sure, as he's here. But also uh, minister at large for Voice of the Martyrs Canada and regular contributor uh, to 100 Huntley Street. You may have seen him in some, all, or maybe even none <laughs> of those places. But, uh, but he is a friend of ours that we're glad to have with us here again today. And, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. With us. And I understand that your, your wife is out of town. but um, Yeah, she's down in Medicine Hat, so I've had uh, French toast the last French few toast. nights. That's my <laughs> specialty. Yeah. Good. And she's visiting family? Or? Yeah, actually Arlene and I met when I was a young sportscaster down in Medicine Hat. And okay. uh, she's an artist. And so she, we were at a banquet together in Medicine Hat for the Medicine Hat Tigers. Oh, yes. And so, yeah, uh, and so that's fans. where There's the... Uh, one. All right. <laughs> that's two. There's probably somewhere else. Somewhere yeah. Else, but but uh, yeah, so we met there and then she came here. I went to Vancouver and then I, we, uh, we met up here. So Wonderful. we have four kids. Uh, Matthew is our oldest. So we have Sarah, Linnea, and Amelia is my youngest. Wonderful. And we have three grandchildren, three which is like the best part, right? Fantastic. Yeah. Good. Well, so glad to have you with us today. Uh, thank you so much for sharing from God's Word. All right. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, it's just such a credible privilege to be here. Uh, before I uh, start, just want to make a couple of announcements. Uh, the Voice of the Martyrs, we have a newsletter that comes out on a weekly basis, or at least a monthly basis. And if you'd like to sign up for that, uh, you can do that at the back. We've got some samples there. I know some of you probably already support the Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, you know, it's not only uh, hearing the stories of our persecuted brothers and sisters, but also hearing the incredible victory, what God is doing around the world. Uh, we have also the Persecution and Prayer Alert, which is weekly. You can get that on your email. And, uh, and I try to do that every day. Pray for three or four things that are going on right now in the world. It's so important that we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, you know, they're really counting on us to do that. As I've traveled to many nations, and I say, when I come back to Canada, what do you want me to tell your brothers and sisters in Christ? And, you know, even ahead of Bibles and food and all the rest of the things that we can do, supplies, training, is to pray. So in order to pray effectively, that's why we have the Prayer and Persecution Alert. I also brought along a few books, my book uh, called Closer to the Fire, which is also the name of my podcast. Uh, and by the way, if you're interested in podcasts and hearing more about what God is doing uh, in various nations around the world, nice thing with a podcast, you can go as long as you want. And uh, because of the technology, we're able to connect with uh, believers all over the world and to hear what is going on uh, in many of the nations and how, again, to pray effectively. So my book is here also. Uh, we have uh, Tortured for Christ. Are some of you familiar with Richard Wormbrand? Yep, some of you. He started um, Voice of the Martyrs. Um, he was a Romanian pastor uh, in prison for 14 years. Four of those years were in solitary confinement. His wife, Sabina, was also arrested. Their son, Michael, had to fend for his own, you know, in Romania. He eventually uh, made his way to the United States thanks to some good Norwegian Lutherans. And as I found out just a few years ago, uh, one of my mom's cousins was one of the leaders in Norway to bring him to Romania and then eventually into the United States. So I thought that was kind of a, a cool connection. And then uh, the current CEO of The Voice of the Martyrs, his name is Floyd Brobel. He's got a book called uh, Trouble on the Way, and it's the persecution scale. You know, you start right from ridicule, discrimination, defamation. You get then into arrest and torture and ultimately imprisonment. 
And I think it's important to understand that persecution happens everywhere where the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. There's spiritual battles taking place. And, you know, where are we in Canada? What's going on here? I think this book would be very helpful for us to, uh, to read through it and to, to understand, you know, what is happening even in our own nation. Can you just stand for a moment? I'd like to pray. Father, we thank you for the incredible privilege of serving Jesus. And it's just an honor for me even to be in this church this day when I think back decades ago when I made a decision to follow you at Westland Baptist. And uh, the work you've done in my life and, and the people of this church and even those that are now in glory uh, cheering us on. So we ask, Lord, that you just be uh, with us in this meeting today, uh, whether physically or online, that we would be encouraged by what God is doing in the world in the midst of all the challenges. The kingdom of God is advancing and we want to be a part of the team that pushes forward the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I need to stay standing because I'm going to stand. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Have a seat. All right. Okay, I want to share. When, when Pastor Mark had asked me to share, we had talked uh, when I was here a number of months ago, Canadian Bible Society, some of you were here, and February Missions Month, and then he shared with me, uh, you know, what the whole series that's experiencing Jesus and new life was happening. I thought, I'm going to do something a little different than I normally do when I'm preaching, and I've had the privilege of preaching in hundreds of churches all the way from Vancouver Island all the way to St. John's, Newfoundland. And, uh, but today, I just want to share a little of my story because, uh, you know, this, again, this ministry here is very dear to my heart. And, and I, I was actually a little nervous today. I normally don't get that nervous because I preach all the time. But I thought the only thing is I might get emotional and I'll cry and then it'll be embarrassing and the rest of it. So I'll try to keep my emotions in check. So if you go the first one. So I came here um, in uh, 1981. And it was at that time where I was really on a spiritual search. Uh, I was working in Vancouver, my hometown. I grew up out there. I'm 23 years old. I'm on television. You know, all the girls that ignored me in high school are now not ignoring me anymore. I was feeling pretty good. And uh, so there I was. I, you know, I was doing well. And I was going to be like the, like the top broadcaster in Canada. That was my desire and that was my goal. And, um, but something happened along the way. I'm in Vancouver. And I'm in the kitchen with my dad. Coquitlam is where I grew up. And the radio was on CKNW, which is Ched uh, of uh, Vancouver. And a news report came across that a young fella had been killed in an accident, in a vehicle accident. Their van had tipped over and he was killed. Well, he was one year behind me in high school. Some of the other guys in the van I knew from high school. I knew his sister really well. And I said to my dad, Dad, what happens when you die? And he just said, this goes dark. It's like, you know, in television, the control room, you know, you pull the lever and the screen goes black. And that's what dad said would happen. And I said, well, then what's the point? Like, what? so if I rise to the top of broadcasting and then I die and it goes black, what's the point? So at that time, a spiritual search really began. Now, I did go to Sunday school as a kid, but when I was, you know, 12 or 13, I stopped going. Lutheran Church, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Coquitlam. So, I, but I quit going, so there's 10 years in between now, and I'm starting to search. So, anyway, I come to Edmonton. I'm offered this job to come here, uh, working in Vancouver, and I thought, I'm going to come to Edmonton. ITV offered me a job, and actually a station in Calgary as well. My thought was, okay, I'll come to Edmonton. I'll work here for two years. Then I'll go back to Vancouver as the big anchorman now, you know. And 
So that's kind of what was going on in my head. So I had the spiritual search going on and the broadcasting thing were all kind of taking place. So I come here and I reconnect with this beautiful girl named Arlene. And uh, so we, you know, we start, you know, falling in love and the rest of it. Well, she comes from a Christian background. So we went to her church, didn't quite fit for me. But then I made a decision uh, that I was going to go to church. So some of you may know Colin Ruddle. That's a good friend of mine. So we had worked together uh, in Red Deer. And he was a Christian. I, you know, I didn't know anything about you know, spiritual things, but we became friends. He got a job in Medicine Hat on television. Lasted there just for a couple of months, and then we switched jobs. That's how I got into television. He came back to Red Deer, then I went to Vancouver, then I eventually ended up here. At an Edmonton Oilers game back in 1982, we're sitting in the press box, and I asked Colin, I said, Colin, what church do you go to? Westland Baptist. And he invited me to come. So we came... And Steve Berg, some of you know Pastor Steve, uh, and Karen, his wife, they were the pastors, meeting in a school gymnasium in West Edmonton. And actually, if somebody knows where that particular school gym is, I'd like to go visit it someday, because that's where my life totally transformed and was changed. So I made a decision to follow Jesus after being there for a few months. And that, you know, when even Mark was playing for me, the, the history of Meadowlark and Westland, I almost started to cry because it, it's so significant in my life. And so it was at that moment that this scripture really came into, re I, I mean, I didn't understand everything. And when we come to Jesus, it's, you know, some things change right away, other things don't. For me, it was I quit swearing. It, uh, my wife reminds me before I became a believer that I not, was not St. Gregory before I became a follower of Jesus. But, there, but definitely I became a new believer in Christ. And my life was transformed. So 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. I didn't understand a lot about what it was to follow Jesus. I mean, I can teach that now, the theology and all the rest of those things. But at that moment, all I knew was during a communion service at Westland Baptist, I said yes to Jesus. And my life began to change. Fortunately, Colin and his wife Lynette they discipled Arlene and I and some other couples, and then I was on my way to serving him. So let's go to the next one. So this is when I arrived in Edmonton uh, shortly after getting here, back in 1981 and then into 1982. Uh, my good friend there in the front is Tim Dancy. Uh, if you go on YouTube, Wayne Gretzky's 50 goals in 39 games, that's Tim Dancy's voice. Uh, unfortunately, Tim passed away in the last year of cancer. But we had come together, some of us had worked together back at ITV in those days. Now it's Global Edmonton for you, those of you that don't know what ITV is, what's that? Uh, it's Global Edmonton now. Um, but I, when I heard Tim was sick, I went to the hospital, the cross cancer, prayed for him, and he believed that God had healed him. He also had the Catholic priest in there. He said he wanted to kind of cover the Protestant and the Catholic thing. Uh, but Tim was a dear brother and had opportunities to talk about Jesus and, and, and things like that along the way. Lance actually ended up in Toronto at CTV Toronto for many years. Go to the next one. So this is uh, Arlene and I getting married in 1993 at uh, Ark Baptist. Now, I'm just going to be in, in total humility here. Can you get why she went for me? <laughs> like, come on, right? Uh, I, I, I could totally get why I went for her. Uh, so we've been coming, we've almost been married 39 years, so uh, we were married at uh, Metal Ark, Arlene was baptized there, my son Matt uh, was dedicated there. But right from the beginning, I felt this uh, passion, I wanted to serve God, 
And I didn't know what that meant, so I went to Bible school, and uh, it was in Bible school that I was invited to speak at a church in Leduc. Uh, they eventually asked me if I would come on and be the youth pastor. I had exactly one semester of Bible school training, and I was way over my head. Uh, but, you know, we had some good times. God in His grace and mercy, we had some fun. It's, it's you know, one thing about social media is reconnecting with some of the, you know, the youth that were there. They're now parents and have, you know, elderly, you know, older children. But um, it was there that I heard about the persecuted church. And that started something in my heart back in 1988 um, that would later be fulfilled when I heard about the Voice of the Martyrs. Go to the next one. So... During this time, I go to Bible school, and then I pastor in Edmonton and in St. Albert, where I currently live. I had some good experiences and some difficult things. But while we were, uh, you know, here, some things happened. There was a difficulty went in the church. There was a, you know, not only a split, the whole church was decimated. And God had been doing wonderful things, people coming to know Jesus. The reality of, you know, within church, there's imperfect people. And division gets in. And Mark, I'm glad you talked about that today. We as the body of Christ, we need to push in together. Focusing on Jesus and less on the news. What unites us is Christ. So I went to Bible school and finished that. Pastor, did a radio show on CJCA. Some of you remember, maybe remember, Muss in the Morning was my radio show. And then things that happened here, there were some family issues and church things. We were really beat up and hurt. So we go to Winnipeg and... It was an amazing time. There was great healing, and I made some friends for life there. I worked with a ministry called It's a New Day. I also worked with TSN while I was there. I did some radio shows and television shows. I did a new segment on uh, It's a New Day where I really started to understand again about the persecuted church. While we were, uh, and we started a little church there in uh, South Winnipeg, and this family from Sudan, South Sudan, had come to the church. So that became our focus. You know, we got 30, 40 people, and, this, and we're all white, except this very black family from Sudan. And so we started to pray for Sudan. Uh, in the meantime, a guy from the Voice of the Martyrs, Glenn Penner, who's now passed away, uh, he was, eventually would lead Voice of the Martyrs, he was coming to town. So I, I said, hey, I'm totally, I, I love the persecuted church. I talk a lot about it on my news broadcast. Come and share with our congregation what God is doing. Glenn stayed with us, and I shared with him about this burden I had for South Sudan because his family had come and told me about all that was going on. You know, two million people had been killed in this war. It was Islam against, you know, Christianity, and it was tribal. All these things were going on. Anyway, the door opened for me to go to South Sudan. Prior to that happening, while I was working at this television ministry, small ministry, I learned how to run a video camera. At first, it was the big beta cam, you know, you see the big TV cameras, and I'd have all the instructions written on the back, you know, like color balance and all that. Now it's so much simpler with the smaller cameras, but I learned how to do that. I was a little annoyed. I thought, well, how am I going to do both? Like, I'm, I'm talking in front of the camera, but how am I going to run the camera? But God, you know, I believe at that time was preparing me for the next thing. I, like, God gives us things to do and tools to add to our tool belt. And so at such a time that he would release it. I thought I got into broadcasting to be a star sportscaster. But God was actually preparing me for something greater. So I learned how to run the video camera. Uh, long story short is that it all came together. It was some challenges, but I did get to Ethiopia, met some persecuted believers there, videoed the stories. Then we went into South Sudan which had, as you mentioned, been decimated by war, all the oil stuff that was going on there, the tribal, the religious, everything was happening. 
So here we are, we show up in South Sudan. Go to the next one. And, oh, actually, go back one. Sorry about that. Um, so anyway, we go to South Sudan, and we're, we're telling the stories, all that God was doing. It was just, you know, it was really heartbreaking, and yet the Lord was working in a powerful way. So part of it was bringing, you know, blankets and supplies and different things that we were bringing to South Sudan, including some training, because most of the pastors had been killed. So most of the ones that were leading the churches had no training. So we were doing training. And they didn't have, like, uh, you know, texting and things like that and Facebook and Instagram and all the different kinds of apps. It was by word of mouth. Some had walked miles and miles, and you see these guys, no shoes on, and, and they, were, they wanted to learn the word of God. And while we were there, one of the pastors said to us, I'll get emotional when I talk about this. It gets warning. But while we were there, one of the pastors came to us and said, we thought we were forgotten. And I remember at that moment, if I remember correctly, looking up to heaven and going, is it this possible that you brought me and these other Canadians and Americans to this very, you know, remote place to say that you are not forgotten? They probably forgot, long forgot what we taught, but they would remember that God was faithful and he sent these white guys from Canada and America to encourage them. And since that time, next one, I've had the privilege of traveling all over the world. This is from Pakistan, uh, you know, teaching the theology of persecution and discipleship to pastors and church leaders that are getting ready for ministry and looking out at some of these pastors in these places that I've taught and I've heard their stories and how they've been tortured and all the things that have gone on in their lives and the young Bible school students that they're going into Taliban territories and they might lose their lives. And I'm thinking, who am I? To be able to be able you know to teach but it's teaching the word of god because it is true and i've developed many friendships over the years um, i've met so many wonderful muslim people that have come to know faith in jesus they're some of my closest friends now and i'm just so grateful that the lord has allowed me to meet hundreds and hundreds of persecuted christians as you can probably tell i'm a little emotional and i'll be doing my i'll be doing the videoing and i'm hearing the story through the translators and sometimes we just break down and weep. You know, when you go to Nigeria and you hear of the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Christians that have been killed because they love Jesus. The, the number of widows that we've met, the orphans, because their dad or mom was faithful to Jesus and they paid the ultimate price. And so I feel this heavy responsibility it's a burden, but it's also something that's an incredible privilege is to share what God is doing around the world in the midst of persecution. The kingdom of God continues to move forward. And I'm reminded often the words of Jesus, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Church splits, things that happen, people sometimes unfortunately fall away. All these things are going on. The enemy comes at the church and there is destruction, and there's death, and there's families that are ripped apart. But yet the kingdom of God continues to move forward. People are experiencing new life in Jesus Christ because of faithful people that will go and do the things that God has called them to do. And I make no apology about that. I, I love Jesus. And when I made that decision in 1982, Westland Meadows Baptist, I never would have dreamed that I would travel the world and hear the stories and see the things that I've seen. 
God has been so faithful and he's just so amazing. Next one. I wrote this book, as I mentioned, Closer to the Fire, and it's been translated into a few different languages, including Urdu. And so I, it's hard to read it because, it, for one thing, I don't understand, but it's in, you read it backwards, or they tell us we read ours backwards. But it was translated into Urdu in Pakistan. So when I taught over there, that was used as the reading material. And they also distributed thousands and thousands of these books. One of the books actually ended up uh, in a brother and sister in Christ in the northern part of the country. And Pastor Morris, with our network there in Pakistan, uh, he went up there to visit them. And he told the story about, you know, got back to my friend Ayub who told me, it was that this this wife and husband, they were going to deny their faith in Jesus. They were living in a Muslim community, and they were being pressured to convert to Islam. And they said, we can't do that. But they said, well, you can have whatever you want. We'll get you a house. We'll get you anything you want. We love you. People appreciate you, but you're not Muslim. And he just said the pressure was getting to him. So when Morris got there, he was talking to this couple, and they were crying, and said, we don't want to deny Jesus, but we're scared. We don't know what to do. We have a family. And so uh, Morris handed his brother this book. And the only story that's not in this book, that's in my book, is actually the story of, from Pakistan, just why we had to be careful there. How God had, you know, from hundreds of years ago, the church up in the northern part of the, of the country was decimated. They were just, you know, they either converted to Islam, they were killed, or they were driven out. And God restored that, and there's like now hundreds and hundreds of believers there finding new life in Jesus. So he gave this brother this book, and he read it overnight, and in the morning, he, his wife got up, and he said to her, if they can do it, because it's stories of persecuted believers, he said, I can do it as well. I will not deny Jesus. So when Ayub tells me the story, I'm like saying, all the things that, you know, if you've written a book, all the things that you have to go through to write a book, and all the hassles and everything, for that one person made it absolutely worth it. And I believe it's been used for more than just that brother, but I, you know, I think God wants to use our skills and our talents to encourage other believers in Jesus. Let's go to the next one. Now, Afghanistan, we, it's now the worst and most dangerous place in the world to be a follower of Jesus. For the last 20 years, the number one country, some of you probably know this, North Korea, where you are imprisoned in North Korea. If you're found out to be a Christian, if you're found to have a Bible, they will arrest your children, they'll arrest your parents. It's awful. Many of the believers that go into those concentration camps in North Korea never come out. And it's just, it's a deadly place. Things have not gotten worse or better in North Korea, but they've got worse in Afghanistan. So over the past 20 years, after the Taliban was pushed out after 9-11, even though Afghanistan still was like in the top five in terms of most dangerous and difficult places to follow Jesus, Many were coming to faith in Jesus from Muslim backgrounds. We don't know how many there are. Maybe 5, 10, 15,000. We don't know. Some have left. Some of her maybe even have come to Canada and other places around the world. But I have a friend of mine. His name is John Weaver. And John was American and a missionary in Afghanistan for over 20 years. And I said, John, how many believers are there? And he said, not enough. And when everything was happening, and it's still happening in Afghanistan, and he's getting text messages from Christians, people that he has worked with, and even Muslims, help us, we've got to get out of here. It's too dangerous. They're actually, they have our names, they're coming to kill us because they see us as, you know, coming against the radical Taliban teachings of Islam and the Sharia law. But then John also said there are many that they will not leave. 
He says, those are the ones that we really need to pray for, that they can't leave. So when you hear about Afghanistan on the news, please be praying. Over 20 years, the church has been built up, and now the enemy has come in and, in the form of the Taliban and trying to destroy everything that happened. We don't want all the believers to leave, but some will have to leave. It's just so dangerous. Go to the next one. India. So difficult now to follow Jesus. All these anti-conversion laws. So anything that's where people are coming from Hinduism mainly uh, into Christianity and they've got a radical BJP, which is the, a very nationalist Hindu government in India. And they, they say that if you're Indian, you are Hindu. And so they got all these laws. It's making it so difficult to follow Jesus there. But yet the church is growing. Well, a friend of mine, his name is David Witt. David was with the Voice of the Martyrs for a number of years. And David was telling me the story about uh, how there have been thousands and thousands of churches that they desire to start. And so many of these are new believers from Hindu backgrounds. And they get into like a six-month intensive training time. And then they are sent out. And again, desire to thousands and thousands of churches God will provide. That's, that's what David heard from the Lord. So they go into these areas, unreached, you know, areas where nobody's a Christian. They have six months of training, and then they go, and they start these churches. One day that one of the believers calls up David and, uh, and says to him uh, that there's, there's, you know, there's such pressure that's taking place. What are we going to do? And so David instructed him to talk to his regional director. The regional director, as he's talking to this church planter, he said, the church planter's saying, they're going to kill me. The village leader came up with a knife and he said, if you don't stop talking about Jesus, I'm going to cut you up like a chicken. And he knew the guy meant it. So he said to his you know, regional director, what should I do? Regional director said, did the Holy Spirit tell you to go? Yes. He says, then you stay. And he said, if they kill you, we will give you a good funeral. I mean, man, comforting words. But you got to understand, if you leave Hinduism and become a Christian, you can't be buried. So they're concerned about that. And one of the things that they do when they're commissioning, and they didn't do this when I was graduating from Bible school, is they have all these church planters up there, the men and women. And as they are being commissioned, they put one hand in the air as surrender to God. They put another hand on their throat, and they quote from Revelation 2.10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Tears streaming down their faces as they look out and they see their family members. Mark and I were having lunch the other day, and I said, you know, the Bible talks about counting the cost, dying to self, taking up your cross. For us, we maybe don't understand that in this context so much, but that is the context that many of our brothers and sisters have to go through. I'm going to share one more story. I know we're kind of running on time here, but um, God is working around the world. Aria, you know that. We met nine years ago. Good to see you again, brother, from a Muslim background, from Iran, the fastest growing church in the world, and yet it's underground. Holy Spirit is moving. Back in 79, the Islamic Revolution was supposed to produce this wonderful Islamic society. Never did, right? Never did. Poverty, drugs, problems, depression. Many have turned away from Islam. A, a good friend of mine, uh, Hermo Shariat, he has Iran Alive Ministries, he told me that in, in, in Iran, people there have turned away from Islam. 
fact, now when they come to Christianity or leave Islam, they don't even try to really force them back. They send them to other parts of the country. It's more of a political thing. But to give you an understanding of how God is working, I met a brother by the name of Saeed and in Toronto, Saeed Pakniak. And so I was doing an interview with him for 100 Huntley Street, and he shared a story about how he had come to Jesus uh, in Iran. So he was, he was a, kind of, as he said, a very nasty guy. He used to beat up his wife, and, you know, he just, he was angry and all these kinds of things. And, and he, but he's had some morals because he uh, brought some corruption charges against the military in which he was tortured and beaten. He went through incredible depression himself, but he was abusive to his wife. His wife was so distraught that she started to lose hope and probably even thinking about taking her life. She was a nurse at a hospital in Tehran, and there was one of her co-workers who was a Christian missionary, saw the look, the, the, you know, the distraughtness in her, and offered her a Bible. That could be very dangerous in that situation. But she took the Bible, she took it home, she starts reading it. Well, Saeed spots the Bible, and he's upset. Why are you bringing that into the house? You'll get us into trouble. Okay, I'll throw it away. She put it into a drawer. While she was gone, Saeed starts to read the Bible. And then he says, okay, I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm going to go right Genesis all the way to Revelation. So he starts reading in secret, didn't want his wife or anybody else to know. He's reading the Bible. And then there in Tehran, there was a, a hurricane hit and knocked out his satellite dish. So, he, so the satellite's not working. He calls the technician. The technician comes over, fixes the satellite dish, turns on the TV. Now he gets Christian television, which is from my friends Hermos, Iran Alive down in Texas, they're broadcasting into Iran, and he starts watching Christian television. And so he has the, you know, so God is starting to work in his life, and then he eventually makes a decision to follow Jesus. So let's roll the video. So you're watching the Christian television, you're reading the Bible, and then in February 2008, you made a decision to follow Jesus. How did that change your life? So, as I said, I was tortured, and because of that, I had nightmares every night. And it was so hard. My son had to hold my hand every night to fall asleep. And it was this night that the pastor on the television was saying that if you want to sleep in the hand of God and receive peace, come pray with me and accept Jesus as your God and Lord. That was the beginning of the way, and I picked up the phone immediately and called the number on the screen. And the sister who picked up the phone asked if I was calling from Iran. And I said, yes. And she said, this is going to be dangerous for you. And I said, if the God you are talking about is true, he is going to protect me. So I prayed with the pastor. From that night on, peace came to my life. And I was able to sleep in peace and comfortably throughout the night. And I was not nervous and didn't need my son to hold my hand anymore. It was at that moment that I decided to follow Jesus and follow his leading. It was from that time that I was able to see his presence in my life, and a lot of good things started happening in my life. Now, as you're reading through the Bible, you know that many followers of Jesus suffer persecution, and you went through some of that. Tell me about some of the challenges and the troubles you went through accepting Jesus. Many problems arose from this. The first thing, I was being rejected by family members and people around me, and then being fired from the job that I had because 
They were suspicious and skeptical that I had become a Christian and I was not following Islamic rules in my workplace. And then persecution happened and I endured these persecutions until there was no serious action against us. And one day my wife and son were arrested and I was threatened over the phone too that if I did not return to Islam, it would cost us our lives. And I told them and asked them, give me a week. After that, I uh, bought ticket to different places in the world. And one day I just decided to move to Turkey. After fleeing to Turkey in 2009, Saeed started an online ministry to Farsi-speaking people. In 2014, he came to Canada with his family as a refugee and continued his online church ministry. Now the pastor of three congregations, including Emmanuel Baptist in Toronto. Saeed has seen more than 1,300 Farsi-speaking people come to Christ, many getting baptized. You have underground churches in both Iran and Afghanistan. Of course, COVID has made it difficult for people to come together, but the online ministry has been very helpful to keep them growing in the relationship with Jesus and keeping them connected. In Iran, we had about 40 underground churches that I was serving for Iranian and Afghan people. And when COVID hit, these churches had to move to online services. So now I have been able to serve Iranian and Afghan people in online services as well as home churches. Do you hope to go back to Iran someday? Because I know you have family and friends there, and there is definitely a sacrifice for somebody coming from your background in Iran, leaving Islam to become a follower of Jesus. But it must be hard at times on your heart with your family back in Iran. Would you like to go back and see them someday? It is my dream to go back to my home country, Iran, and serve Iranians there as well as here, and be able to preach to them where they are. It is unfortunate that I cannot be with my family and friends and relatives there. I will try my best and hope for the best that one day this will happen eventually. God is doing amazing works uh, throughout the whole nation, especially in some of our ethnic churches. I mean, 250 baptisms in three years. I was talking to the pastor, uh, Jonathan Mills, at Emmanuel Baptist, and uh, just about, you know, having, you know, these, you know, this ministry there, they have them on staff, and, and even meeting some of the young men that were Muslims have come to Jesus, and all they have on the sign is Farsi service. And what I didn't know about North York, that part of Toronto, they call Little Tehran. And so many are, you're getting excited, aren't you? God is working in Iran. Amen. Wow. And, but the Lord is, is, is doing amazing things in the Muslim world. More Muslims have become Christians in the last 20 years than in the previous 1,400 years of Islam. These are exciting and dangerous times. But God is working, and we're so thrilled to be able to, you know, see the Lord pouring out his Holy Spirit on all flesh. I want to share one more story, and then uh, I'm going to wrap it up here. But um, as I mentioned, North Korea, and again, baptisms. Let's go to the next one. So North Korea, as I mentioned, uh, up until just 
recently uh, was considered the worst place in the world under the Kim dictatorship and the worship of Kim Il-sung. And, and I mean, just bizarre, the Juche system, which is basically a ripoff of the Bible. That's why Christians are in prison, because it exposes the falseness of it. But many North Koreans have never heard about Jesus. And even though 100 years ago, they had a revival. And it was actually more spiritual, and the church was larger in the north than in the south. Now, in the south, in South Korea, especially Seoul, there are four of the five largest churches in the world, economically, Samsung, and all the rest of Hyundai, and all these things that are there, uh, it's very prosperous. But many North Koreans had not heard the gospel after, you know, the war, the Korean War, and then the splitting of the countries. So this is one of my dearest friends. Her name is Mrs. Kim. And I'm asked about, you know, who's your favorite and all the people you met. I said, there's so many. But she certainly sticks out. She had never heard about Jesus in North Korea. Eventually, she escaped uh, into China. And while she was in China, in her 70s, made a decision to follow Jesus. She then made her way to South Korea. And she was all fired up about Jesus. She would start giving her testimony. So she decided that she was going to go to Bible school. So we have Underground University with the Voice of the Martyrs Korea in Seoul. She went into Bible school and graduated at the age of 85. So I tell all my friends that are in my age group, they're all retiring. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. Go until we drop and then we'll be with Jesus. Because people are experiencing that new life in Christ. That's why we exist. That's why we're here to tell people about Jesus and advance God's kingdom. And so I had the, uh, I get a little excited, I'm sorry about that, but, but I mean, this is, this is, I mean, we can watch the news and be depressed, absolutely. Let's get our eyes focused on Jesus, what is happening in the kingdom of God, be focused on those things, because that will encourage you. And so you meet Mrs. Kim, and, and I contacted my friend Eric Fuller, and I said, how's Mrs. Kim doing? Oh, she's still doing great. Prior to COVID, she was like 88 years old and she's ministering to the Japanese in Japan. And she's still fired up, can hardly wait to get back on an airplane now, like 90 years old or 92. But I went on a pastoral visit because, you know, I'm doing my video. I got to get, you know, information, you know, cover video and that. So I went on a pastoral visit. Well, she told me how she, her eyes she couldn't see. God healed her eyes. She couldn't walk properly. God healed her leg. So we're, you know, going through Seoul. We're going to visit these North Korean believers. It has, they're the highest suicide rate. Once they escape uh, from North Korea to South Korea, they get very depressed. It's, it's a difficult situation. So they go and minister. So we went to this one home of these North Koreans, and one of the ladies there was, you could see, there was no light in her eyes. She was so depressed. And so Mrs. Kim says to this lady, this pastor, he comes from Canada. He's going to heal you. And I'm going, ah, thanks a lot for the pressure, Mrs. Kim. So we were there having tea, cookies, and then we prayed. So Mrs. Kim prayed, and I prayed, and the Lord healed this lady. Light had returned to her. That experience of Jesus was, was, was coming into her again. And, you know, so you're with somebody like Mrs. Kim, and that just inspires me to keep on going. People need to hear Jesus in this neighborhood, in this province, in this nation, in this world. And I just absolutely love it. You know, as a sportscaster, you know, we used to take the, you know, one-hour hockey game down into like a minute. And that's kind of what it is like. I'm only just telling you little highlights of what God is doing around the world. Yes, there's violence. Yes, there's persecution. But yes, many are coming to be saved. Go to the next one and I promise I'll be done. Now, my wife's out of town, so I got no 
reason to get home for lunch. Um, French toast again, I think, today. But one of the things that, I, and, and again, it's very intense and very emotional, and there's times that I've had to go through some counseling, and I've suffered, you know, at, at times depression. When you hear of so many stories, and I'm aware in real time, every day, attacks in villages in Nigeria, uh, Pakistan, and these young 14, 15-year-old girls, Christian girls, being taken from their homes, forced into these marriages with much older men, forced into Islam. When you hear these stories constantly, it can really cause you to feel despair. But the hope that we have is in Jesus, because this is not how it's going to end. You know, 40 years ago, you know, you know Metal Ark Baptist Church, many of those saints have gone on. They're in heaven cheering us on. So we don't stop until we're done, until we take our last breath. But even past what happens in this lifetime is when it all will end, when the return of Jesus. But I just absolutely love this verse, and this uh, is a painting that my wife did uh, to depict uh, Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Let's stand. And uh, worship team, you guys can come out whenever you want. And then we're going to close it out. Maybe. No, we won't. promise. So when he, he being Jesus, opened the fifth seal. So you got this, you know, like John, remember? Like, who can open it? Well, Jesus opens the fifth seal. I saw under the altar the souls of those who have been slain, who have been killed because of the word of God and the testimony they maintained. So many stories I've heard. People will not deny Jesus in the face of death. That's why they were killed, because of the testimony they maintained. Then the martyrs cried out in a loud voice, How long, holy and sovereign Lord, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then the Bible says, Jesus, the King of kings, the one we've been singing about. And you guys are awesome, by the way. Your worship, you brought us right into the presence of God. The one we, the only one, Jesus, he wraps them with these white robes and then tells them to wait a little longer until the number of those who were to be killed was completed. And that'll be it. But while, while the numbers are rising all over the world, in Nigeria, in Pakistan, in Libya, in Somalia, in India, all over the world, that number's getting bigger. I don't know what the number is. God knows. But there's also another thing that's happening. And that's this series, Mark, you're doing, New Life in Jesus. Because people are being added every day in our nation and around the world. People are experiencing new life in Jesus Christ. And it says in 2 Peter 3.9, because, you know, the, the believers going, like, when are you coming back? Like, come on, you're being slow. And by the Holy Spirit, Jesus, or Peter writes, that the reason there's a slowness is that he does not want any to perish. He doesn't want our families to perish. He doesn't want our neighbors to perish. He wants people to come into his kingdom. Let's pray for our government leaders rather than criticize them. Let's pray for people to experience that life that we experience in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that we know you. And if there be anybody in this room that maybe, you know, hadn't made a decision to follow Jesus, you need to slip up your hand. It's the best decision that you will ever make. And if you want to make that decision, you can come and talk to me or Mark or one of the team here. But it's the most important decision you can make. And it may cost you everything. 
mean, Jesus didn't kind of sugarcoat it. We give our lives to him. So, Father, we do thank you for the work that you're doing in this church. Father, I thank you for those people back in 1957 that had a vision to start meeting. In the 1963 Middle Ark Baptist Church started meeting. And through the years, Lord, how you've worked through Westland and Meadow Ark and now here at West Meadows, thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing and continuing to do. Continue to give strength, Lord, to this church body, vision and passion that we would be single-focused on what really matters, and that's a relationship with Jesus. And Father, we also want to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world in places like Iran and Iraq and Nigeria and Pakistan and India and Somalia, Yemen, and all these nations, Lord, that are suffering because they love Jesus. Father, we thank you that we can stand in the gap and intercede and pray. I think of Mrs. Kim and that passion at 90 years old, people need to hear about Jesus. Continue to give her strength, Lord, and all that you're doing. I think of the, those that are in prison uh, in places like Eritrea, shipping containers, military prisons, because they will not deny Jesus, or in these concentration camps um, in North Korea. Father, would you be with them today? Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. We are weak, we are broken, but we're available. Fill us again with your Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. And we long for that day that we will see you face to face. But until then, Lord, use us mightily to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.